Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It is Friday, which means you have the weekend to recover from this podcast. I appreciate all of you who have uh, listened into the podcast uh, over the last year and a half. And once again, I hope you'll just let me give a little pitch for Bulwark Plus uh, membership. Uh, we really have begun to form a community, a group of folks that 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 I think understand exactly what is at stake. Uh, when we started the Bulwark, uh, well, it was two years ago. It feels so much longer than two years. We're kind of in this space-time warp continuum, et cetera. Uh, when we started it, we we didn't really know uh, what was going to happen. Um, we uh, knew that there was a huge challenge to take on Trump and Trumpism, but I think now we realize, you know, how deep the rot goes and and how how long it's going to take uh, to turn these things around. And one of the things we committed to do was to tell you what we thought, uh, to tell you exactly uh, what was going through our minds to be as non-tribal as possible. Um, there will be times when you will agree with us. There will be times when you disagree with us. But I think you understand by now, or at least I hope you you think uh, that uh, that we that uh, what we say is unvarnished. And and I think that that's one of the things that that we've really that I'm proud of with the bulwark is all the different voices. They don't all say the same thing, but the opinions are unvarnished. And I think that th this is a moment in American politics where we need it as opposed to the usual sort of disingenuous bullshit that you get, frankly, uh, from the partisan media. So uh, if you have not yet joined Bulwark Plus, uh, please consider doing so. Uh, you have access to the live stream. We had a great live stream last night on Flying Ted Cruz, uh, which I strongly recommend. Uh, also, uh, my newsletter, Morning Shots, which also deals with Ted Cruz this morning. Uh, Ed, JVL's Triad. Uh, we also have the uh, the suite of other podcasts, including the the Next Level podcast with JVL, Sarah Longwell, and Tim Miller on a regular basis. The Secret Podcast, um, and of course, we have the other podcasts as as well. We're, we're doing a lot of different things, including Mona Charon's uh, Beg to Differ. So think about it. Uh, if you want to try it out for a little while, go to thebulwark.com/charlie. And you get a free 30-day uh, trial membership. And this is an offer only for those of you who are uh, savvy and smart and good-looking enough to be listening to this podcast right now. That's thebulwark.com slash Charlie. Okay, so we have a guest that we have not had for some time, but had to get him back on to talk about this week. Woke Joe Walsh joins us again. Joe Walsh, former congressman, presidential candidate, talk show host, author. Welcome back, Joe. How you doing? Hey, Charlie. It's always great to be with you, but can I correct you? Sure. Uh, people shouldn't think about it. Think about joining Bulwark Plus. They need to do it. Um, you. you all have been a beacon. Um, and, and now that we all know, and we've all known for a while, that Trump and Trumpism are here to stay, it's permanent. The work the Bulwark does is so freaking important. So do it. Join. Okay. Well, we'll we'll send the check for that. That would that would that was actually great. Hey, <laughs> speaking speaking of the Bulwark and the Bulwark uh, podcast, um, I, I I do uh, read the the emails that people send back. I, I am not able to respond to all of them, and I apologize for that. And and I know that some of you um, have said that, hey, Charlie, we really love the podcast, but could you tone down the language? Um, can you, it, it's, you know, sometimes I'm in the car or I'm, I'm at home with my 10 year old or my 13 year old and, and you, and, and you guys are dropping bombs and stuff like that. And, you know, if you could, if you could just clean it up and, and I, I take that seriously 
And and perhaps we will do that, but it won't be today. Just just a a way warning that the cleaned up non-explicit version of the podcast, you know, is 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 there. I I hear you, I feel you, but it's not gonna happen today. This is this is gonna be me and Joe Walsh. Joe, what I'm sorry. Charlie, um, I apologize. I apologize. No, 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 no. I mean, it was what what what's the title of your book? Fuck silence. Okay, <laughs> you see, but just get it out of the way. So yeah, if I if you if you invite somebody onto the podcast who's written a book called Fuck Silence, you know that you know, just like slap the explicit rating on right, right, <laughs> right in front. Okay, so Joe, we have a lot of things to talk about. Um you're a former talk radio guy. I'm a former talk radio guy. So we have, we and we both have written about Rush Limbaugh. You had a fantastic essay in Time magazine. I wrote about it in my newsletter. I had a piece in the post yesterday, and I want to talk about that. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I want to talk about Nikki Haley. I want to talk about the flying monkeys uh, that are out there for anyone that is dissenting from Trumpism. But I'm sorry, we we, we have to talk about we have to talk about Snowflake um, and and his is Snowflake a, a boy dog or a girl dog? Have you followed this? The Snowflake. I think, I think Snowflake is a girl. Okay, all right. I don't know how Ted Cruz. How does Ted Cruz end up with a dog named Snowflake? I asked my wife that, and she said, well, he has daughters, okay? But, I mean, think about it. T Ted, Ted Cruz has a dog named Snowflake. And I was actually going to start this thing. The worst thing about the whole Cancun thing with Ted Cruz was leaving the dog behind. And, and that, 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 yep. put, that, that takes it to a whole new level. Apparently, though, there was a caretaker, or at least some of the reports yeah. suggest that there, there's a caretaker, that, that, that Snowflake was not, in fact, abandoned. So uh, let's leave leave that aside because there's so much other awfulness. So he flies back and is doing a sort of modified apology tour, like my bad, my mistake. But but listen to Ted Cruz yesterday. Senator McClellan, what do you say to the people who saw you leave the state of Texas during this freeze? Well, what I, what I would say is I was taking care of my family the same way Texans all across the state were taking care of, uh, of my family. And, and it, it certainly was not my intention for that to be understood, as, as critics have tried to paint it, as, as somehow diminishing uh, the, 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 the suffering and hardship other Texans had experienced. Uh, look, Texans want this problem solved. I want this problem solved. I want the power on. We've, we've got... Okay, so I did the line. I was just, I was taking care of my family just like everybody else in the state of Texas was taking care of my family. I assume he meant th their family. Yeah, no, Ted. But, but hey, credit where credit is due. Uh, our colleague Jim Swift called this shot yesterday. He said that's exactly what he would do. Yeah. I was, I was just taking care of my family just like everybody else in Texas who just jumps on an airplane and goes to Cancun, stays at the Ritz, freaking Carlton. <laughs> just... <laughs> so, Joe, you know, you, you've, you've been in politics. Don't, don't politicians have that little, like, chip implanted where, like, don't do really stupid things, and then when you do, don't say stupid things? Don't they? Don't, so, don't. so, Charlie, I know Ted Cruz, and um, and, and most everybody who, who doesn't like Ted Cruz – Pretty much everything they don't like about Ted Cruz, they're spot on about. But I got to be honest, Charlie, I was stunned. I, I didn't believe it. I, I, I didn't believe even he, pardon my language, could be this fucking clueless. Yeah. I really didn't. And I don't know what you think, Charlie, but I, I think this is a career ender. 
Mm-hmm. I really do. Well, it's it's because it's because Ted Ted Cruz sort of started at a low level. I mean, in terms in terms of like ability. I mean, I I, I love this yeah. piece by by Dan Zach in the Washington Post. He says, look look here's the situation: the post Cancun position that Ted Cruz is in. Nobody likes Ted Cruz. This was the place Ted Cruz was starting from earlier this week. Then he went to Cancun. He yeah. went to Cancun, where it's mostly sunny and in the low eighties, while many of his ice blasted constituents were without heating and plumbing watching their ceilings collapse, huddling in warm centers, defecating in buckets, and generally not packing for a few days in the Yucatan Peninsula, where, by the way, uh, at the Ritz, you, you can get lobster dinner for just 100 bucks, <laughs> really only 100 bucks. And, hey, you know, I, I you, th- say you think it's a career ender. I don't think if he were up in 22, Charlie, oh, yeah. there's no way he wins. Yeah. I think if he – you and I know he probably wants to run for president – a once in a century blizzard and he leaves his people who are freezing to death to go to Cancun. I don't think he recovers from this. I think he is a, and you said it, Charlie, he started with such a low base of support to begin with. He's, he's a joke now. It's sad, but I I just think he's a joke. Well, the memes are fantastic. You know, him, him with, with with the roller bag and, you know, it's, he, he's, he's right up there now with Chris Christie sitting there on the empty beach in the, in the long chair. But I mean, that's, I suppose the, the upside of this is what Windsor Mann tweeted out. Uh, The good thing about Ted Cruz is that no one will ever form a cult around his personality. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, he really did. He really did go full Marie Antoinette with all of this. Um, There's so many different aspects of it. I mean, it's, it's sort of like this onion of, of, of awfulness where you go, okay, so he had the police escort. He lied about it. He tried to blame his kids about it. Um, I mean, he just checks every possible box, including the dog, you know, as a former congressman, Really, the most important thing you do is your constituent services. And the same thing holds for a United States senator. So to say I'm going to leave my state in the middle of a once in a century blizzard because I'm a federal official and there's not much I can do. Again, Charlie, I go back to this and I got in a fight with a colleague yesterday. I think he's utterly clueless. I, I know, Ted, he's he's a bit of a... a just an, an an unaware nerd, but other people think he was careless. He knew exactly what he was doing. I don't know what you think about that. Well, I, I think that, you know, there's, there's obviously, there's something missing there because yeah. I mean, look, so he, what was he going to do if he stayed in Texas? I mean, Ben Shapiro said, what did people think he was going to do? Use a blow torch to unfreeze <laughs> the pipes. No, but at least you act like you care. I mean, there are people who are suffering, you know, maybe volunteer at a food pantry, you know, maybe, you know, go around and check on making sure that, that emergency services are, are working. So I, I thought it was fake. And by the way, and by the way, Charlie, that pisses me off more. What Ben Shapiro and people like him have said, it, it's like it's like we're so politically tribal. If, if Ben Shapiro had been advising Ted Cruz before Cancun, he would have said, Senator, respectfully, no, you can't go. Shapiro. I mean, think about this. Ben Shapiro yesterday defended Ted Cruz. He knew what Ted Cruz did was stupid and wrong. He knew if Cruz were a Democrat, uh, uh, Hannity and Shapiro would be raking him over the coals. But they cannot be honest with their audience because they're so tribal. 
Well, see, that's the thing. I mean, it, it's really gotten to the point where there are no standards. There's no right and wrong. It's just like I defend my tribe and I attack the other Bingo. tribe. So, I mean, here's Bingo. the guy that Nancy Pelosi gets her hair done and he goes to DEFCON 1 like, oh, this is terrible. Marie Antoinette and everything, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, and, and you know that if a Democrat had done what what Cruz did, they'd be it would it would have been Fox News would have been wall to wall. And yet they have to rationalize it. But again, that's the world that we we live yeah. in, I, I guess. So there's just this. I'm, I'm sorry to obsess about this, but the 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 sort of the mean housewife thing, um, these text yeah. messages uh, that were, were leaked. So text messages sent from Mrs. Cruz <laughs> to friend to this is the way the New York Times reports it, to friends and neighbors on Wednesday. Uh, revealed a hastily planned trip. Their house was freezing, all in caps, and she proposed a getaway until Sunday. Uh, Mrs. Cruz invited others to join them at the Ritz-Carlton in Cancun, where they had stayed, quote-unquote, many times, noting the room price this week, $309 per night, and it's, go- and it's good security. The text messages were provided to the New York Times and confirmed by a second person. Whoa. Okay, so, so much for the friends yeah. and neighbors they're apparently Ted Cruz, like Rand Paul, has neighbors that are not fans. You know? So, Sorry. so probably a shitty thing to do. But Charlie, yeah. uh, look, I I support whistleblowers. I mean, these friends must have been incensed with the BS that Ted was putting out there, and they wanted to get the truth out. So, I, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, I don't know. I just it it, it seems kind of yucky. Well, it is, but again, it's it's when you're as hated by as, as Ted these Cruz his, is. This these is, are his neighbors and friends. Yeah, these are his friends. I don't I don't know. So, uh, Ted Cruz had a much worse day, obviously, than than the Nikki Haley had. But can we talk about Nikki Haley for a moment? Oh. Okay. So Nikki Haley, who uh, was at one time really regarded as, you know, the, the future of the Republican Party, in many ways, aren't you getting kind of the Marco Rubio from 2016 vibe? You know, the, 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 all of this great hope and everything sort of projected on her. And then the, the closer you look, the weaker it gets. So I, I did in my newsletter, the in case you haven't been updating your scorecard so far this year, Nikki Haley has. Number one, broken with Trump over his handling of the Capitol riot. Remember on July and January 7th, she went down and spoke to the RNC and was critical of him. So that was number one. Uh, number two, then walked that back, going on TV, declaring, give that man a break. So that was number two. Number three, then broke with Trump again, telling Tim Alberta that he went down a path he shouldn't have. We can't let that ever happen again. That's number three. Number four, walked that back again. with a op-ed piece in the wall street journal which she blamed the whole controversy on the liberal media which wants to stoke a republican civil war and then apparently wanted to go down um to mar-a-lago to tug on her forelock and you know make make nice with (laughs) trump again and trump according to politico has slam dunked her and said no no you you can't come so this isn't working out for for nikki haley so she's tried to have it both ways, and remarkably, it's not working for her. You, yeah, Charlie, I love the way you, you frame that. Look, there's no, there's no Trump fence to straddle. You can't straddle a Trump fence. You're either all in or you're not. You're, you either support him or you don't. Nikki Haley, two years ago, Charlie, when she left uh, the United Nations, she called Donald Trump basically a truthful person. 
Yeah. And, and the moment she did that, I said, I'm, I'm done with her. You can't have it both ways with him. And, and I love the way you compared her to Rubio because it is like the closer you get to Nikki, there's no substance there. It's just all about advancing Nikki. Yeah, it it, it, it is. And that's the... I don't know that that's what's kind of sad about it, but you're right that you can't you, you can't be halfway there, and <laughs> I, I don't know why why this hasn't dawned on Republicans. I mean, I'm you know what that look if you're you can be loyal, 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 loyal. You can do absolutely everything, and you'll still end up with people yelling "Hang Mike, Mike Pence." I mean, if he throws yeah. Mike Pence under the bus, what do you think he's going to do to everybody else here? So I don't know. I. You know, Nikki Haley is one of those people who, uh, you know, has all this ambition and all this calculation. And I think that every time she she shows it, she weakens herself. So I don't she, know. she weakens herself, Charlie. And look, the story for the next four years is assuming Trump doesn't run. If you want to be the Republican nominee in 24, you've got to bear hug Donald Trump every uh-huh. day, period. Well, you know this, and I'm going to get to this because you know you you did something. Um, well, I mean, I think people Pretty know that's right. Well, you think it was stupid? Well, with hindsight, it was kind of hopeless. Well, yeah, it was. It was <laughs> but 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 the experience. What people need to understand, though, um, is how visceral this loyalty is, and yes. what happens to a Republican or a conservative that breaks with Trump. And I'm not offering a defense to people who are cowardly about it, but there's a reality that that when you break, you lose everything. You are excommunicated. You are attacked. You are threatened. It's hard to overstate it. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Some people will go, oh, what? You're going to get a mean tweet and you're afraid of that. It's it's a little bit worse than that, isn't it, Joe? Uh, You live with regular death threats every single day. And that's just the start of it. Yeah, you lose everything. If you're a Republican or a conservative who puts your head up there and says, I oppose him, um, you lose everything and you really do put your life and livelihood on the line almost every day. Yeah, no, I know that people are going to say, oh, come on, you guys get that strange new respect. You show up uh, you know, on MSNBC and all these other <laughs> things. And by the way, there's there, there's there's some truth to that. However, what you've lost is so much bigger than what you've gained, because trust me, I mean, I'm of a certain age where I look back and and have to really confront the fact that 20 years of work may have been, you know, just set on fire. Yes. And all of those relationships that have been built up over the years, that's gone. And and so, you know, for people who go, well, OK, so you, you don't get to do this, but you get to do that. Trust me, uh, doing five minute hits on television does not compensate for 20 years worth of work and relationships that are destroyed in this current atmosphere. And, and I'm not trying to play the victim, Carter. I'm no. just trying to say that that this is this is a real this is a real phenomenon. OK, so let's talk about talk radio. Yeah. Um, h- how long were you a talk show host? Six years. OK, six years. Not was, like you, not a, not a veteran veteran like you. But it's a long, it's a long time, certainly long yeah. enough to, to, to understand. And so I'm, I'm going to get into Rush Limbaugh. I mean, one of the things, and I hope people will listen to the whole conversation because I want to talk about the good, the bad and the ugly. 
One of the things that I think that we have to acknowledge is is how powerful radio is compared to every other medium. And I know that yeah. that, that 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 may not be obvious to most people, but I think that the relationship that people have with someone they listen to every day for hours and hours and hours whose voice is in their head is very different than someone who's over there on television. So you establish a much more intimate relationship with the audience than you do through print or through television. And Rush Limbaugh created this, his influence by bonding with millions of Americans and became part of their lives and part of their culture in a way that few other media figures have done. So, I mean, let's start off with that, that radio is a very intimate yes. medium and he was a master at the medium. He also invented essentially the entire genre of kind of lighthearted political talk radio yep. and guys like, and I, a lot of people say, well, you know, you wouldn't even been on the air, you know, if it wasn't for Rush Limbaugh, you shouldn't criticize him because you wouldn't have had a career. And so there's some truth and there's some falsity to it. The truth is that yes, he did. He pioneered this, this new genre. He opened up the audience, basically told it, showed everybody there's an audience for this kind of thing. And it was bracing and it was fresh in the early 1990s. And you look at the media landscape today, and it's true that a lot of the people who are out there uh, would not have been there if not for Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. But it's the falsity is, though, is that not everybody was Rush. And Rush, I, I don't know what your take on this was. I, I, I think that there were a lot of flaws all, the, all along, but th there was a turn with Rush. So, Give me your take, um, you know, bottom line of Rush, uh, of, of Rush Limbaugh. You, you wrote about this extensively in, in, in Time magazine, and I'm sure you've thought about it as well. So, Charlie, here's my bottom line. And, and I start where you just picked up immensely talented. And you and I can appreciate that being in that industry. Rush really ha rarely had guests. He never, ever had a lot of callers. It was three hours of him. Riffin, he was probably the most talented monologuist I've ever heard. So immensely talented. But then fast forward 30 some years, 80 to 90 percent of Russia's listeners right now, 80 to 90 percent of Trump supporters, GOP based voters believe in lies and conspiracies. They no longer believe in the truth. Rush played a big part in helping us all get there, sadly. He did. He played a major role. And I think he normalized much of that. And I, and I think this was this was this was where I think I, I went from admiring him to being very, very disillusioned, and very skeptical to being appalled. But they, they I remember that at the point in the 90s where he's you know, being too clever by half. Yes. He's coming up with these elaborate theories of four dimensional chess and what's really going on here. And I'm thinking, OK, why don't you just, you know, stick to, you know, Stick to actual like reality as opposed to all of this, um, and it and it became increasingly disingenuous, and it was it was sort of sort of dripping with rationalization and dishonesty. Not to mention the sort of the ugly undertone. And by the way, I I think that this is one of those things. And you and I have had this conversation before. Let's let's. I mean, we were on 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 talk shows and probably did some of the things that we're criticizing Limbaugh for. Yes. I mean, I I have lots of regrets, and I yeah. I, I think that. You, you get to a point where you think, hey, you know, this is what we do. And you look back on it and you go, what was I thinking? I, I mean, I mean, really, 
I don't feel that I was influenced by Limbaugh in terms of much in terms of substance, but but some, uh, in, in including sort of the the you know belief that you can be entertaining, which I think is a good thing. But I have a lot of regrets about. It. I do, but you and I and I I remember listening to you in the day, and I tried to do the same radio you did. You and I always, I think, always tried to focus on issues and policies. I tired of Rush early because it just seemed to be entertainment and stick and not a lot of issues stuff. Well, it was. It became increasingly. I mean, I think in the beginning, he actually was trying to be about ideas and issues. I mean, he yeah. tried to. He also had these great parodies and everything. It was very funny. But the thing is that, and, and I'm, I'm getting a little bit of blowback from this, but I'm, I'll double down on it. Rush was fundamentally not interested in ideas. Yeah. Um, and, and, and as time went on, he became less and less interested in any sort of issue or substance. It all became shtick. It became personal attacks. It became the kind of thing that we've gotten used to in the conservative media. And I think that, you know, near the end, he essentially said, yeah, it's not about conservative ideology. It's not about principles. It's about just, you know, owning the libs and all of this. And he said it explicitly. I mean, the thing about Rush Limbaugh is when you're on the air for three hours a day and you know this. Uh, sooner or later, people are going to find out who you are. Yes. And he would say, you know, people think that I'm, you know, have a political agenda. I don't. I'm I'm a business guy. I just have radio metrics. I, I want ratings. I want, you know, revenue and everything. And I'm just not that in. He said this explicitly. Yeah. And then near the end, he said, you know what? This is I'm I'm shutting down my Institute for Advanced Conservative Thinking. And it's just going to be the Institute for Anti-Leftism. So he, he didn't make a secret of it. And then at the very end, Charlie, he continued, even after the insurrection, Rush Limbaugh went on the air and said the election was stolen after the insurrection. I mean, come on. So I, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, um, and I know that I've written about it. But the moment that I really I, I think the, I was I was actually genuinely shocked last year after his diagnosis of cancer when it went on the air to defend Donald Trump spreading the baseless lie about Joe yeah. Scarborough murdering someone. I mean, yeah, uh, the, the thing about talk radio is you don't have to talk about everything. You don't. I mean, you don't have to you don't have to defend the indefensible, but he did. And what he did was he rationalized how, how subtle and clever Trump was by saying but not saying, you know, putting it out there, but saying some people are just asking questions. And it was this fundamental dishonesty at the heart of it and this mockery of people who cared about truth and morality. And it was like, this is who you've become. And I think that that's dangerous. So just back up a little bit. You wrote a piece for Time. I wrote a piece for The Post and for my newsletter. And we were sharing right before we started this. This was hard yes. to write because, I mean, I, 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 I guess I, I still have, you know, qualms about writing about somebody who's just died. Yeah. So you found that hard, too? I found it really difficult because, um, look, I wanted to be he was the king and he started the whole industry. But but yet I had to be honest, and I knew if I was honest writing about Rush, that you know his legacy is the dishonesty that we are living with now. That you and I will get ripped, uh, Charlie, for being honest about about our take on Rush. Well, that's where I came down too, and I, I when I did sit down, I thought this is this is going to be this is going to be rough because, um, and I understand that people say, "Well, you're dancing on the grave." No, no, we're not. Um, no. 
at, at all because it, it is a human tragedy. Dying at 70 is, is way too is way too young. But on the other hand, if there's ever going to be a reckoning about where we're at in this political moment, how, as you pointed out, how you have millions of people who believe conspiracy theories, how did the conservative movement become so dumb, so dishonest, so entirely so, so I always cruel? Thought, yeah. yeah, I always thought it was a waste of Russia's talent because Rush was so talented. Look, a guy like Hannity, he's a dumbass. He's not talented. Right. Rush Limbaugh is smart and talented, and he wasted his talent by selling out to Trump, but then by being so dishonest over the years. Well, and that was and and, and making it sort of a you know, a, a shtick to, to yeah. say, you know, they, they, this is how I'm going to justify lies. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I, rem- I remember that, that turn that he made back in t- 2015 where he dumped Scott Walker and went with, uh, with, uh, with, with, with Trump. And one of the things he did was he, he justified, uh, Trump's attack on John McCain. He justified yeah. the lie about the thousands of mu- Muslims who were celebrating nine yeah. 11. And he basically kind of acknowledged, yeah, it's a lie, but, but isn't it cool? This guy can get away with it. And so you can't understand Trump without understanding Limbaugh and the way that the Trump used Limbaugh as a role model and so how do you, you know, given what you and I do, we're talking about how terrible this moment is, the threat that, that, that we face. And then when Rush Limbaugh dies to turn around and say, yes, but this was all wonderful. Well, you know, no, we we all are held accountable. We all have consequences for for our behavior. You're right, Charlie. There's a direct line. And look, I was a Tea Party congressman. There's a direct line in what myself and a number of us Tea Party folks said and did that led to Trump. You're right, man. We we, we all got to just speak to our accountability, I think. Well, you know, and this is, the, I, I noticed people who were saying, well, how can you guys criticize Limbaugh because you guys were the same? Well, first of all, we weren't the same. No. But but also, there 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 is that moment where you go, okay, yeah, I, I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. And so, you know, some of us have said, yeah, we don't want that to be our legacy. So that was I always would think that, you know, that Limbaugh, well, I mean, you know, maybe at a certain point you just get you get too uh, too bought into all of it. And I'm sure that you thought of this as well, which is like, this is awful, but this is the choice I've made. These are my people. This is my career. This is my world. I have to stay here. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely, Charlie. Yeah, I think that's what he did at the end. And he didn't want to, he wanted to go out still the king of the mountain. Uh, and so I think he sold out at the end, which again is is immensely sad. So the, then there's the other question of leader or follower. And, you know, when you're on talk radio, there's, there's, there's two things that happen. And you'll understand this. I hope we can communicate this. You're sitting there and you are the host. You're talking. But of course, you also have the callers, you have all yep. the email, you get everything back. And there's real pressure to be in line with your audience. And I think that what happens with a lot of hosts, and I think it happened with Limbaugh, is that he maybe at one time was a thought leader, but in the end, he was a follower. He, he, had, he had a sense of his audience, maybe a better sense of his audience than I had, because he, he, he made sure that he didn't allow any daylight. So he could have gone a different direction, but... He knew where his audience was. And I think a lot of hosts um, are very, very uncomfortable because it's a terrible feeling, isn't it, Joe? Uh, when you when you realize that 80 percent of your audience 
just think you're full of shit. Right. I mean, you, you've, you've done this, right. You, you know, you sit, you sat down and you open up the phones and you've had nights like that, right? Oh my God. Well, and Charlie, when I, three and a half years ago on the radio around the country, when I finally officially turned on Trump, uh, then I lost everything, my audience, my everything. But I, again, you're right. Most of the guys in our industry, Charlie, in that industry, they want to keep the audience and keep the ratings. So they tell the people what they want to hear. I couldn't imagine ever saying anything into a microphone that I didn't believe. Yeah. So I, I just couldn't go down that road. Well, see, that's the thing. You know, I remember, you know, back in the day that there were a lot of people <laughs> on the left said, well, you can't believe these things. You're just saying this because X, Y and Z. And I would say, look, we may disagree, but I actually do believe these things. I really do. Um, and I, and I, and I did. Yes. And, um, so, but, uh, I'm not sure that every host fully does that given what's happened here, because, you know, I watched, you know, in, in 20, in 2016 and 2015, you know, most of my listeners were very, very anti-Trump and I was, I was in line with them. And this was a 20 year relationship I had. And, yeah. you know, when Donald Trump came to Wisconsin, you know, it was a, it was a huge speed bump and everything. And then watching throughout the year as they began to shift, I didn't change my position at all. I said exactly the same thing. Yeah. And the audience hated it. The audience absolutely hated it and felt it was a betrayal that I didn't follow them. And again, Limbaugh and many other talk show hosts made that decision that they were going to go with their audience, that it was absolutely. not viable. Absolutely, and, and, Charlie. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say I worked for I was syndicated with Salem and say after Trump won, Salem told told all of us, me, Hugh Hewitt, Prager, all of us that we had to speak well of Trump. And they all did. Michael Medved didn't and I couldn't. And Michael Medved's gone now. And you're Michael gone. Medved's gone and I'm gone. OK, so Hugh Hewitt is just a hack. <laughs> okay, no, 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 no. Okay, but 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 Dennis Prager, just you know, I yeah, Dennis Prager is a thoughtful guy. He's an I author. Know. He he had he was a serious Jewish ethicist who thought yes. about things beyond politics. I actually sat in as a guest host for Dennis Prager on a, on a couple of occasions, and he had yep. a very sophisticated audience. Yep. Why does a guy like that flip? He did not want to lose his show. Okay. It's an absolute shame. Um, you're right. Hugh Hewitt is Hugh Hewitt. He'll do whatever the company tells him to do. Yeah. D Dennis Prager did not want to lose his show. So even he lined up and saluted and got on Team Trump. And you and I know what he probably, pri I know what he privately thinks of Trump. I don't. I don't know what anybody thinks. The the the, the, <laughs> capa the capacity of people to rationalize is really remarkable, and I also think that there is that that sense of sort of you know sunken costs that that you know w once yeah. you've gone along with say twenty things, you become even more invested. I mean, you've talked to Trump supporters, and one of the great mysteries I think to people on the outside is how passionate they are. And it's sometimes the worse he behaves, the stronger the support is. Yeah. Have you noticed that? And it, because Charlie, what, what I've realized over the years is it's not issues based. They just want a guy who will fight. 
They just love that he fights. And the more that he's a jerk and the more that he fights, their support for him grows more intense. Yeah, I think that's true. So what percent, though? Okay, so let's let's pull back a little bit here, because, of course, there is going to be this Republican. Well, is there a Republican civil war or is it already over? No, it's it's gone. It's Trump's party. I don't know what people are talking about. Talk to me more about that. You just think it's 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 done. The the, the Liz Cheney's, the Ben Sasses, uh, they're the outliers. They're 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 going to end up on our little island sometime. I think they're the last gasp of the Republican Party. Uh, I think anybody, the Liz Cheney's of the world, if they can hang on to their seats next year, it will be a miracle. Uh, the party is done. It's Trump's party. It's shrinking. It's dying. Charlie, it's becoming one of those European far right regional parties. I believe. So then what happens to this party? Um, we're, we're seeing this everywhere. The, the, I, I think I've described it as the crazification of the Republican parties at the local level. And, you know, as bad as it is in Washington, it is way oh. worse, way oh. worse watching. Did you see that the, uh, the county party in North Carolina <laughs> that was yeah. unhappy about Senator Burr voting for impeachment? And they passed a resolution banning him from coming onto the premises of their office because of his dis- disloyalty to President Trump. I mean, it's I mean, first of all, it's kind of the Stalinist language, you know, disloyalty yeah. to the great leader. But also we we have we've decided that our party is a safe space and you're not even allowed to come here. So th- this is this is I mean, this Charlie, is driving. But by the way, people don't realize that. And you asked me earlier about my hopeless primary challenge to Trump. I really realized it was hopeless within about a month after I got into the race. The Republican Party at the state level began canceling primaries. I know. And at the end of the day, they canceled 22 primaries and caucuses. I mean, that, that, that's cult-like. I've never seen that before. You know, that probably should have been a bigger warning flag about the anti-democratic, no, the anti-democratic streak in the Republican Party to to actually cancel the election so that people did not even have the opportunity to run against or vote against the Orange God King. I mean, that was really breathtaking. I mean, it really was the they I mean. What yeah. is more literally anti-democratic than saying we're not going to allow an election? They they canceled elections. I remember Bill Crystal at the time said what you just said right there. This is an anti it's becoming an anti-democratic party. They canceled elections in 22 states. Unheard of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even in retrospect, I mean, you know, you know what happens. It was it, and, and it didn't even like break a sweat to do it. There was no opposition to it. And it's no, interesting. Because- we know why. Yeah. You're right, because then what a lot of people don't realize is at the state level, these state parties, they're almost all Trump appointed people. So they're very, very Trumpian at the state and local level. So what does this mean, though, for the party going going forward? You were just describing it as being you know, more of a, of a faction. I guess I agree with you that the Republican Party is completely Trump. It's going to be very, very hard to turn that around. But I just don't see how that's a winning formula long term, that, that, if, that if you make your bubble smaller and crazier, how you expect to win in places like Georgia and Virginia and North Carolina and Arizona and all of these states where Republicans used to do very well and are now headed towards permanent minority status. 
Well, they won't. And that's why it's to me, it's a dying party. And they probably hit their high watermark this past year. I mean, think about it, Charlie. As bad as they are, uh, 45,000 votes and Donald Trump is reelected. I don't think it'll get that close again. I think it is shrinking. It will be very regional. And then, by the way, great, interesting piece today in the bulwark about, well, then what about people like you and me? And maybe people like you and me should work with the Democratic Party. That was part of the piece I read today in the bulwark to make sure that the Trump party doesn't win. Yeah. So where do you come down on that? Uh, A lot of talk, a lot of buzz about the possibility of a third party, a third centrist party. I guess I'm I am very uncomfortable with going from one tribe to another tribe. So I I, I had no problem voting for Joe Biden uh, in the in the election. But I'm not willing to throw in my lot with the Democrats or, or, or give them a blank check. I think I, I, I look, look, my take, Charlie, is be bold, plant your flag now. Give me a centrist, common sense. Let's get some shit done kind of a party that will attract moderate Democrats, independents and moderate Republicans. I would plant that flag now, knowing that it's going to take two or three election cycles. Hey, Suck please. it up and do it now. So what is it that you think progressives and the Democrats don't get or are getting wrong? I know that many you know, folks on the left don't want to hear advice from people like us, but every once in a while I raise my hand and say, look, I think there's tremendous potential here to get a lot of these disillusioned voters, but don't go crazy in this particular direction. So what, what advice would you give them or warning flags would you, would you raise? I think there are two areas where Democrats really lose people in the middle like you and I. All of this wokeness like all of this woke stuff, like you've got to, you've got to fall in line and think like them in the taking George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, taking their names off of schools. Most of America doesn't support that. And then the whole notion of finances, Charlie, like free college and free everything, that's just not sustainable. And if the Democratic Party goes down that road, then again, they're going to lose people in the middle. Well, I completely agree with you on all of that. Uh, and and I, I actually think that the, the Biden folks seem to get that as well. Um, I agree. You know, pu- pushing back on on this issue. Yeah, the, the, the idea of free college um, is appealing to uh, the progressive elites, but it will play really badly in much of the country, um, you know, particularly if, if uh, among people who don't have college or, who are not or college Charlie, forgiving, forgiving everybody's student debt tomorrow. I mean. Here's one thing we overlook in our criticism of Trump. Yeah, Trump's a horrible human being, but the working class vote, the especially the working class white vote, the Democratic Party is in real danger of absolutely losing touch with that vote because they're so focused on some of these social justice issues. And Trump was able to take advantage of that. Well, that's right. I mean, in terms of... You know, conservatism becoming now or the right wing basically becoming a series of narratives and anecdotes. So yeah. what they will do is they will take they will take some extreme comment. I, I, I got an email from from you know Ben Shapiro trying to sell a subscription. And it's like, do you know that Bette Midler said X, <laughs> Y or Z or that text? I mean, wh- whatever. Who cares what Bette Midler thinks? But then again, people in San Francisco, the school board that decides, yeah, w- let's take Abraham Lincoln's name off of schools. Now, even 
liberal Democrats think that's crazy, but that yeah. becomes the, you know, the, the narrative on Fox news is that's what the left is all about. The left is about giving away free stuff to other people, which means we're going to make you pay for other people's free stuff. And that becomes the, the narrative there. Um, so I, I, I do think that they need to be sensitive to those things because that you, you do, you are at risk of losing some of that constituency. There was one other thing I was going to say that they they make they make a narrative out of. Um, ah, it'll it'll come to me after I'm done with the podcast. But and and the whole and Charlie the whole defunding police notion oh, last year hurt them bad. Even though I know Democrats don't embrace that, they uh, Joe Biden and and the rest of them didn't push back strongly enough against it, and the Republicans were able to take advantage of that. No, and I, and I don't want to get emails from people explaining like, but Charlie, this is what defund really means. If you're explaining, oh. you're losing, you know, <laughs> I mean, acknowledge that it was a terrible, terrible idea. Amen. And I think that this is one of the things that, that, that you and I have learned on the right, that at a certain point, if you don't police the stupid and the crazy, bad things happen. And the left has to do that as well. And they have to do it aggressively. They have to make sure that, that they're stupid and they're crazy is put into a box other you know otherwise you know this is this is how they're going to be this is how they're going to be defined so joe um it is good to talk with you again what are you what are you doing these days are you writing another book or uh i've begun to i've begun to write uh kind of the the history of what the tea party movement really was but what i'm trying to do charlie right now is i'm trying to tiptoe my way back onto talk radio to see if there's any room for an anti-Trump, anti-Trumpism voice in the conservative talk radio world. I may fall flat on my face, but I'm going to give it a try. So you're doing, you have a pot, you have your own podcast. What's it called? Where can we find it? It's called F Silence, F, <laughs> F as in Frank, go to F Silence podcast.com. Um, but then I've got a daily radio show. We're on in Chicago and Tucson and a couple other smaller markets. We're trying to grow it uh, to 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 put truth in front of all of these Trump supporters because you know Charlie, they're on talk radio and and somebody's got to try to reach them. So I'm going to give it a go. All right. Well, good luck, Joe. Thanks for coming back on the podcast, Charlie. Appreciate I love you, much. man, and I love what the Bulwark does. Keep doing it. All right. Thank you. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back on Monday and we'll do this all over again.